liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Got another special guest with me today. He is the author of After Collapse, The End of America and the Rebirth of Her Ideals, a a topic that is right up our alley as an audience and as my expertise as well. Max Borders, welcome in. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, So give us a a little background in yourself and and the thesis of your book, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Um, I am the executive director of Social Evolution. Uh, we're a little nonprofit dedicated to liberating people through innovation. Parentheticals, not pro- politics, because politics, as many of us understand, doesn't work. Um, in fact, um, you might, another way of saying this is we're all about subverting the political paradigm and replacing it with something better. Um, and uh, my books tend to trend in this direction. So my first book is The Social Singularity which is about lateralizing relationships through technological means and decentralizing just about everything so that so much power doesn't hold sway in this world. And the the latter book has very similar themes, but in the part one, I portend the, the, the collapse of the Republic as we know it along seven different vectors. So we can talk about some of those, but that's pretty much what I'm about. Well, that's, that sounds tremendously interesting as someone who, um, is very concerned about economic collapse. I'm curious what other vectors you see potentially. Yeah, so obviously that that's the big one. That's the big linchpin. And um, the 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 critical thing about uh, the economic collapse is this is this this tremendous debt spending. You know, part of it is sovereign debt. You know what what the United States owes other countries, but it's also what the United States owes taxpayers in the form of bonds or whatever uh, that, that, that simply can't be repaid. Sure. Like it's, it's just impossible for the United States government to dig our way out of this. And already we're starting to see the Federal Reserve using all, all manner of tricks, uh, inflating the currency, debasing the currency, that sort of thing. So that's a big one. Your, your listeners and viewers are surely familiar with all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other vectors are perhaps a little, a little different. Um, there is the, the breakdown of collective intelligence, of the idea of truth tracking, that we should pursue truth in this society. Instead, it seems like an arms race to create the, the, the biggest meme and nobody is responsible for anything anymore in terms of lapses in truth or failure to track truth. Journalism is a hall of mirrors, as you know, and so is, you know, the, this everything is being governed by uh, sort of proclamations of wokeism, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is just, is, is turning our ability to apprehend truth and to understand the world around us to shit. Uh, excuse my mouth. No, this fine. is, <laughs> you know, this is really, this hall of mirrors we're living in is going to cause uh, part of the breakdown. Uh, another, I'll, I'll, I'll name a couple of more and, 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 and just to give you an idea. Uh, another is that very system of civil discourses breaking down it's now a mimetic warfare uh, between competing tribes. Uh, you've seen all of that. So once you take away the desire to seek truth and, and replace it with the desire to, to 
inculcate or or even impose your particular tribal meme that is not good for any kind of national unity or civil discourse Mm -hmm. so that's that's another problem um there's also the language we use to talk about the economy which is rife with machine metaphors you know experts in washington dc and new york who think that they understand how to control a complex system like an economy and speak of it as if it were a 747 that you could build or design Right. And the economy is organic. It is, uh, it is like an ecosystem and ecosystems can't be designed unless you're God. And of course they're not. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many things that are breaking down in the, in the American Republic right now. And I feel like you, your listeners are, you know, among, among the, the sort of the rare, and it just, it's, it's mind boggling to me that commitment to human freedom has been pushed to the margins but we are a force to be reckoned with and we're coming back. I love it. <clears throat> You're right. I mean, we are, uh, many people refer to us as the remnant, um, but it's, it's weird. It's weird because it's so obvious to people like you and I, but it's so perplexing and um, unknown to the majority of people. I mean, it, it, what, I, what I find interesting though, is that it does seem as if people have it, they have an instinct for it. They just don't understand it. You know, like because because of my Austrian economics background and because of my my career in private money lending and my familiarity with with real estate on a really you know intimate level, um, I'm able to analyze this in a deeper way that it's not just like I think other people feel it, but I get it. You know, like I actually understand why this system is sick, and it sounds as if you do too. Um, I think my my analysis has been that essentially the only reason we haven't collapsed already is because all of the central banks and central, you know, the governments across the globe are basically in a race to the bottom doing the same things that we are. Is that, is that a factor that you've taken into consideration when you talk about the collapse of the U.S.? Because obviously we're not the only country that's being poorly managed. That's right. I mean, the fact that the dollar is the U.S. Uh, is the world reserve currency mm-hmm. um, allows us what Peter Zeehan, who's a you know, strat, former strat four analyst, he, he mm-hmm. calls it an exorbitant privilege to have the world reserve currency. So when you think about relativizing um, you know, all of these systems of debt spending and counting on the dollar, relatively speaking, because if you try to, you know, the Japanese yen, of course, is, is going to be, they've had, they've had, a, they had a, a decade called the lost decade and they have some of the highest debt levels in the world. When, is the, when are those chickens going to come home to roost? We also have people called, uh, you know, I call them magic monetary theorists, but they're called mon- modern monetary theorists, mm-hmm. MMT, who are whispering into the years of power right now saying, hit the gas. It doesn't matter. Debt spending essentially doesn't matter. Um, of course, right now we're seeing inflation. It's not yet hyperinflation, but, you know, we printed a third or, you know, a fourth to a third of the money that's ever been in circulation ever since the beginning of the dollar. Um, in the past year. Yeah. In the past year. And that is starting to show itself in inflation. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you think, uh, you know, high levels of inflation are a form of collapse or not, when you combine it with all of these other vectors in which power is is being predatory, you, you're going to end up in a situation that is a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. And in, even if you don't, 
it's still going to suck for a whole lot of people, especially the poorest in society. Mm -hmm. And, and when it sucks for the poorest in society, the powers that be the experts who have bleeding hearts or whatever, want, want to double down on the same old things that got us to this point. This is deeply problematic. And it, and look, I'm not the kind of person who doesn't care about the least advantaged in society, and I suspect you aren't either. No. But the way you care about people in society is to actually care for them. We need to return, I believe, uh, to a condition um, fueled by technological means, of course, but of mutual aid. Mm -hmm. You know, the more you try to, uh, you know, if you can create systems of mutual aid, like one third of the population at the turn of the century was a member of some sort of mutual aid society. Mm -hmm. That was the social safety net that was woven by the very people who were participating in those systems. They were accountability. They weren't this, this great statist algorithm that just drops money from the sky. That's what we've got now. Right. And people think that that's a good thing. Yeah. It, it was based, terrible. it was based on need and, and it was verified by people on the ground that were closest to the issue, exactly as you would imagine our founders intended to be, is that it's not every man for himself. I mean, we are, we are still humans that love each other and we're going to take care of those that are closest to us. But my, my issue with this is that, you know, because so much of our wealth is leached from us through the state, both federally and on the state level, it becomes very hard. To, to look after others because most people are just keeping their head above water barely. And, and I think that that's, that's part of the problem. That's part of the reason that we can't easily go back to that because there is so little resource that's left available um, to do so. And I'm curious, do you think that we can actually go back to a mutualist society while we have this overbearing state that is taxing us half of our income and regulating us to death? Or what do you think? Well, I think I think that's part of part of the situation. Certainly, um, you know, I I am a pretty darn middle class guy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I um, you know, I go back and forth with my crypto holdings and, and hope that someday I'll be crypto rich. Sure. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty middle class. And I think that there is room in my life, despite the state, to turn to others. The problem is I need other people's help in doing that. Mm. There's a massive incentive system that creates a basic ethos, which is this. I pay my taxes. There's a social welfare state out there. Go avail yourself of it, right? People's moral inclinations after, you know, you know, I guess, what has it been? 50 years, 60 years of the great society initiatives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have basically created a sense in which I outsource my responsibilities my love, my, my neighborliness, my all, my willingness to, to, um, to rebuild your barn, to raise a barn after a fire, all of these kind of this, these instincts that are, that drive community are basically taken away from us by the incentives of the welfare state. And it's no wonder we don't have, you know, if your idea of charity is I pay my taxes or I vote for the person from whom who will take away the taxes from, from the evil rich guys, mm -hmm. then we're not going to, we're not going to get anywhere with charity. Charity is going to find other niches that's not well, that are not welfare oriented. And you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. What's, what's really lost is those invisible threads that tie people together in community, whatever, that free people create and self-organize on their own. Those are destroyed by, by this, this ethos of the welfare state. 
Right. And it's, it's a real shame. If you ask me, churches can come back, mutual aid societies can come back and we've got the benefit of on online uh, digital ledgers and all kinds of other means to be able to evaluate a, as a community someone's needs. Sometimes people need a kick in the ass. Sometimes they need a job. Sometimes they need encouragement. They don't always need this sort of means-tested, lobotomized, dropping money from helicopters to subsist and stay on the plantation of parties. Mm -hmm. That's not doing us any good. If you love playing fantasy football but struggle to find the right resource to help with your research, the guys at Football Insider Edge have you covered. Whether you are a season-long player, focused on DraftKings or FanDuel contests, or just like to make the occasional wager or kick your friend's ass at the local fantasy league, each week on a couple of games, Football Insider Edge provides you with the research tools and in-depth analysis to take your game to the next level. With their proprietary model, matchup charts, and industry award-winning content, the team at Football Insider Edge have devoted themselves to educating their subscribers, helping them improve their play, and in a few special moments, winning life-changing money. They are proud of this community that they've built through weekly interactions on their Slack channel and take great pride in helping others to achieve their goals of becoming better fantasy players. As supporters of this show and of the Liberty Movement as a whole, they are currently offering you a 20% discount on any monthly or full season plan on their website. Just go to footballinsideredge.com and use the code LIBERTY at checkout to take advantage of this discount offer today. Again, go to footballinsideredge.com and use the code LIBERTY at checkout. No, it's not, and and it's bankrupting us. I mean that the the welfare state is is a is a factor in our you know fiscal insanity, but it's really not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is well, it is it is the biggest issue if you can if you consider um, social security and all of the unfunded liabilities that we have for the elderly in this country, including including Medicare Medicaid. But in terms of like just welfare, that's a that's a very small fraction of our budget for you know the people that are allegedly the most needy in our society but you're right i mean it, it's it's a huge problem that we we just we take this incredibly intricate complex system of 330 million people and we just have boxes that you fill in and you go like okay this this person doesn't have to work for the rest of their life they just get you know a paycheck yeah, and for free and and it's like of course you're going to have a infantilized um helpless population when you when you've created this structure and decade after decade you've allowed people to to become incapable of lifting themselves up and then and then you know people pretend as if this is a capitalist society and it's like it's it, you can't have it both ways like we have we have one of the most extravagant social safety nets in the world and then on top of that we have people that say that this is a capitalist society and and we have all this income inequality that that makes people hate capitalism which makes them call for more and more socialist programs and i just i don't know how we reach people so it seems as if your belief is that while we should be going back to a mutualist society there will be a collapse um, prior to really seeing that to fruition well, and, and you make a great point. It's not just welfare. I mean, I think welfare writ large, let's call it the entitlement state. Right. Okay. The entitlement state, which includes people living in million dollar homes in Boca Raton, collecting social security and collecting Medicare. Right. Right. And, and using Medicare and the doctor's going, come back and see me next week. Ding, mm -hmm. ding, ding. As long as, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, it becomes a, just this cost shifting crazy quilt of, of systemic waste. 
mm-hmm. that is show, shows no signs. Nobody has any political will, will to turn back the tide of some of this stuff. Look, let's, let's just say you had to make some kind of grand compromise with power, right? Why I do, in the I world, do every day. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But a grand one, like a, a, a total one. It's like, okay, if we can agree on this, what, what would we agree on? Mm. Now, by the way, I, I don't believe this. In fact, I hope we can get to some of the crazy sort of uh, uh, crypto anarchist sensibilities that I, that I, I really have and right. that I write about sure. a lot in my books. But let's just imagine you could take a grand compromise. You know, it, one of the things you ought to be able to say to progressive power is why in the world are we subsidizing the rich to the degree that we are, whether that's corporate through corporate welfare or through um, through mechanisms like Medicare that really allow people who are the highest net worth people in the country right now, which are the boomers, to begin to go on a system that they don't actually need financially. Now they've paid into it their entire lives, but what? to 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 what end are we now subsidized i mean they blow out they they need a hip replacement all the money they play, paid in over the course of their lives is probably going to be blown right right and so it, it, and then if, they if still have another make- 30 years of using uh, the the medical system and and yeah i mean uh, particularly th- i mean this is a huge problem and i agree with you that it, there is no there is no reason for the wealthy to to receive social security and Medicare other than the fact that contractually, if you believe in the social contract or whatever, they did pay into it and, and they get their, you know, their turn at the trough. Um, I, I always struggle. I always struggle to look down upon the wealthy that, that takes some of the money back from the system simply because they're the ones that paid into it. You know, most, most people don't pay into it. And in fact, we have, I think it's about 50, 50 in terms of net taxpayers versus net tax receivers. So, it's, I struggle to, to, you know, to deny them that. Yeah. Yeah. To deny them. Yeah. No, no. And I, and I, I certainly agree with that, that sentiment. And yet here we are. Sure. We're approaching insolvency. Mm -hmm. You know, social security is already insolvent. Uh, Medicare is unfunded liabilities that the likes of which we could never have imagined at the beginning of the great society initiatives, much, much less, the advent of social security during the time of FDR, when people only lived to be 60 on average. True. Now they're living to be 80 on average. Are we really going to expect that people should be able to retire at 55? And, and, you know, like, like the tablets of Moses came down and said, came down from the sky and on it was written people at 65 ought to be able by right to retire. Sure. I think this is, um, this just, mathematical truths extrapolated out into the future, like the unfunded liabilities that you meant, this ocean of red ink in which we're swimming now, it's not going to matter anymore what your opinion is on it, whether or not you feel you're entitled to this, that, or the other, because the unfunded liabilities, just, just the, just the variance in the prediction of what those unfunded liabilities stretching out 20 years is, is bigger than the entire U S economy right now. Right. I mean, that is the scale of red ink that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get your point. So it, it essentially you're saying it doesn't matter whether or not they are owed it or deserve it or whatever. It's not going to be there. And, and I think that's most, you know, libertarian or Austrian economic background type folks get that, you know, like this system yeah. is not sustainable. It will come to an end like it or not. Um, so let, let's, let's get more into some of the other um, paths for, uh, I, I, before we get into the after collapse, 
Um, is there, are you prognosticating any uh, militaristic reasons for collapse? No, that's actually not one. I, I mean, of, of, uh, yes, defense. It's spending, always possible. Yeah. Defense spending, certainly. And, yeah. and of course, the mutually assured destruction rationale that drives so many, so many state nation state actors. So, for example, China, uh, Russia, you know, the usual suspects who are who are enemies, they are, you know, Westphalian nation states of the, of the sort that we're familiar with. And they're being at this point playing the same game that we are, which is mutually assured destruction. Oh, you're going to you're going to build a big military. We got to build a big military. And this has got to cost the cost of which is this this arms race has got to come from somewhere. This has been, you know, this also creates a military industrial complex which is a complex of waste. You know, everybody who's listening, your listeners are familiar with that. For sure. In terms of a collapse that is due to, um, due to war or due to, that, that could absolutely happen. I don't write about that in After Collapse, but it's certainly possible, particularly as um, we're playing international brinksmanship and blame, blame games. Uh, for example, it, it's, it's, just, it's just outrageous and bizarre to me that we've, we're coming to find out that the very likelihood is that Fauci and the teams who are responsible for allocating grants to gain a function research in China with the with this woman who was associated with with the Wuhan, Wuhan Institute of Virology, Wuhan Institute, yeah, and and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Oh right, right. We're right. working on this gain of function research together under the imprimatur of the you know team fauci is actually somehow responsible for the pandemic and for the shit show that that came after it mm -hmm. and now we're starting to get folks in in power talking about with suspicion about china i mean the last thing we need right now that anyone needs is war with china um, and yet China is, is a back basket case is a dangerous, um, you know, team of authorities. The communist party there is, is awful. Sure. Um, it's, it's a very pragmatic and a very effective kind of dictatorship. And yet it's, um, you know, too much of these kind of games and we're going to be dragged into a conflict that, that neither party can afford. And, well, and perhaps and the Chinese can even afford it more than we can. Yeah. Well, I will say this. <clears throat> I think that uh, that China is is maybe not the same level of house of cards that we are, but they are similar. I mean, yeah. to have a a top down centralized or centrally planned economy for a billion plus people. Forgive me if I don't buy that that's actually working out as well as it seems. No, they're, um, I, and they're talking about their annual growth rate, GDP and all this stuff. It's right. 4% and this and that. I wouldn't trust anything that came out of that, that government as, as data, no. um, particularly and, as, the, you know, I've actually heard that they don't even use profit and loss system from some of, for some of those state-owned industries. Sure. That's just like, they're just having to subsidize <laughs> this, the hell out of cheap goods to maintain this sort of Potemkin economy, uh, Potemkin village economy. Yeah. Um, well, they have they have literal Potemkin villages. They have just houses that they build out that are not occupied by anybody because no one can afford them. But they build out in these massive building sprees of tens of thousands of houses at a time, just imagining that they're going to because they're centrally planning because they're yeah. like, OK, this, here's the trend line. We see uh, 100,000 farmers 
or a million farmers moving from the farms to the cities. So we're going to build out these cities to, to front run this so that we don't have any issues with supply. And then, oh, well, guess what? Your, your trend line was broken and now you have hundreds of thousands of houses or apartments or condos or whatever that are sitting vacant. And, and people are like, this, these people are going to take over the world. No, I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> think they are. I really don't. I mean, it's not, it's not that I think that you know, the Chinese people aren't capable of it. It's that a centrally planned government never works out as you intend. And, and we are now on the same path as China. And I think to your point about, about um, you know, North Carolina and the Institute, it's like, I, I'm really disturbed at the fact that people are pointing a, a, a finger viciously at China as if they are the ones entirely responsible for this when we clearly have our hand in it as well. Yeah. And uh, by our, I mean the you know, US government. And I, I really question how, how much in bed we are with China, e either um, in terms of being owned by them, just on a political level where politicians are owned by these people, or if we are actually working in unison with them to prop up both of our uh, you know, Potemkin villages, so to speak. It's, it's a very interesting question as to what are like behind the scenes, what is our relationship really with China? Because I think Joe Biden is currently president because he has a much better relationship with China than Donald Trump did. And I find that interesting because you know, <laughs> Trump was basically put out of office because of, of the, the COVID lockdowns and everyone feeling miserable, in my opinion. And now you got Biden put in there. He's, he's much more friendly with China. It's just an interesting dynamic for people to really think a little bit more deeply about. Yeah, I, you know, and there's so much shady shit going on behind the scenes anymore. In, in this hall of mirrors of information that we now live in, I would not be surprised about anything. I am skeptical of conspiracy theories sure. because it's just like I'm skeptical of the Chinese economy being particularly effective economy because of the information problems of, of top-down management. Exactly. I'm also skeptical of conspiracy theories top-down because it's really hard from, from an interagency standpoint to mm -hmm. maintain that level of groupthink or lies or whatever sure, and sure. execute a conspiracy. So I'm, you know, I'm, you know, with all due respect to the QAnon folks, uh, you know, I really, really want to continue to track truth, but say humbly that there is so much shady shit going on out there. We can't possibly, the, the, the things that are coming to light right now involving the pandemic and the lead up to the pandemic, from the suppression of ivermectin to, you know, the early, early courting of pharma in, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm also happy to take vaccines as long as you don't suppress information from me about those vaccines Same because boat. you have a predetermined outcome that's we're going to get big pharma involved and we're just going to it's it, I, I just I think that we're living in such an, an age where the information problems, the complexity of life on planet Earth for human beings has gotten to a degree. And this is re really something I talk about in a lot of detail in the book. And this is goes to the Austrian sensibilities, by the way. You know, when Hayek spoke of, you know, the use of knowledge in society, which is one of his great essays, he talked about how knowledge is distributed throughout the planet among billions and billions of souls. And you can't expect leaders, elites, experts at the highest echelons of power to be able to plan any sort of extended order because complexity theory tells us that 
it's impossible to maintain this kind of power in a, in a great big organization that's a single organization like a firm, mm -hmm. much less a government or governments trying to coordinate. So I agree with you. I think China is headed also for a collapse. Um, it may do a good job of obscuring that collapse, but it will be headed for one because there's just no way from an information processing standpoint and from a, a fiscal management standpoint that you can basically put Keynesianism on steroids you know, undisciplined Keynesianism. Right. right. That's what China's doing. Maybe you haven't heard, but the government is starting to mandate the V. And what that may, that may mean for some of you is that you have to find a different place of employment if you are a principled bodily autonomy type of person. If you're in that position, you have opportunities. As of right now, there are millions of unaddressed job openings that they're not getting enough applicants for. So I would highly encourage you if you want to take that step to go to crash.co forward slash daily and sign up for the daily job hunt newsletter. It's a once daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some inspiration and information on how to be a better job applicant. It's very straightforward. It's just a couple minute read and it's free. There's no excuse. Again, go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up. And get that job of your dreams. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's a such thing as disciplined Keynesianism. If you've looked at the American uh, federal spending over the past 50 years, it's like, oh, we're supposed to we're supposed to pull back on spending when the economy is doing well. Do we? Never. No. Fuck no. We don't. Um, so, I mean, this is part of the reason that that we are so far down this path of the slippery slope that people pretend isn't real. Well, we've been slipping for you know a hundred years now since the Federal Reserve was implemented and i think that we are very very near the ultimate collapse of this empire our our you know overt militarism unnecessarily uh over the past 20 years in particular uh but over the past 100 years for sure too uh is really uh you know gotten us here so uh let's let's talk a, a little bit about what you see coming after collapse i'm i'm very interested in the you know uh the crypto anarchy type options. Um, uh, many of us refer to it as agorism, where you operate outside the system or in the gray or black area, um, just to be outside of the purview of government. What do you envision coming? Yeah, I mean, um, I love techno agorism. I would if, if you know, I, sometimes I find it placing labels on oneself is, is problematic, can sure. be problematic, just because people shut down, you use the A word anarchy, and they go, bah! you know that you're throwing Molotov cocktails in the streets whatever no no it's just you know I I am interested in moving to, towards a world of rules without rulers mm -hmm. and at the very least finding niches of decentralization so this is what I mean by that to the extent that we are living in regimes that are accidents of birth from historical conquest where jurisdictions are imposed and the feedback loops are very loose, which is democratic governance. You know, we go every four years, we cry our teardrops in the ocean and we expect the tide to turn. Do we really think in a complex state of affairs that we have, like we have today, that that's really going to work as a system? I mean, the, the sort of worship of this golden calf of democracy is absolutely staggering to me. It's like, to me, it's so obvious that it doesn't work that it is contributing to our downfall. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I do have a chapter in the book about restoring the lost constitution. 
um, which is to, that's my last ounce of patriotism, which is to say, if we actually enforce the constitution, we could probably get back on our feet. Mm -hmm. And especially the ninth and 10th amendments, which devolve power to the states, because if California goes tits up or Illinois goes into the dirt, at least there are 48 other options, right? Yeah, per perfect uh, so example was during lockdowns. I mean, thank God that there was a state like Florida that was that was willing to, um, you know, overturn some of these more dictatorial to tyrannical uh, paths or plans that people were on. Because had we not had those examples to demonstrate definitively that these were not efficacious, you did not need to treat people like slaves, which is what we did in all of the blue states across the country, then it would be a much harder argument. But now we are winning this argument because of our federalized system where we have, or our feder federalist system where we have states like Florida and Texas and, and uh, South Dakota that, that demonstrated for sure that there was a mistake made. And that's- oh. It's a really hugely valuable and people do not give it nearly enough credit. That's why I'm a huge, yeah, ninth and 10th amendment are, are vitally important to bring back. Where, where are you, by the way? I'm in California for the next Okay, so I'm in days. Texas. Yeah. Okay, you guys just came out of this garbage. Not really. I mean, kind of. We, kind of, kind of. I mean, yeah. um, you know, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not going to sing the praises of our governor uh, no. too much because, they're, they're, you know, 50% of what he does is, is garbage. But, yeah. you, but you're exactly right. What we saw with this pandemic were niches of experimentation, mm -hmm. 50 of them. And we were one of the first states to open up after the pandemic. We got locked down to a certain degree and we you know, had mask mandates and the rest of it. But there, you know, as soon as Biden got elected and we were on, I guess it was about March, um, they, they, Texas opened up for business. Biden said to Texas, this is barbaric or something along those lines. It was, right. I remember there was no, a quote. It's it was, ca caveman thinking. Caveman thinking, yes. Well, the cavemen had a trend line downward of, of new cases and of deaths from COVID, notwithstanding opening the economy. Mm -hmm. And I can understand people's concerns, right? You know, if you think about human beings being, being vectors of disease and you allow them to go out and, and you know, into commercial spaces there where they're tight and they're indoors again that they could you could get a bump that didn't happen so you know um there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff you know it, you could you could point to florida and texas and say look this didn't happen so your theory of your theory of lockdowns and your 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 theory of um you know sort of this hyper medicalization of everyone it, it, it turned out to be wrong, at least in this at this period in the pandemic. It's it's a it's it's not to say that this isn't a hard problem. Look, I understand even as an Austrian, you know, anarchist leaning person, this idea of collective action problems. I'm sure your listeners are too. So there's sometimes there are things that we need to do together, you know, as one, you know, collectively in order to solve a problem. Sure, and that doesn't make me any less anarchist. It just means that we need to come up with different mechanisms for achieving those common ends. Yeah. If they truly are common, there's all kinds of cool ways to do it. Um, and that's a lot of what we uh, talk about in, in after collapse is like, how, how, um, how can we be more communitarian? How can we but also be freer in reconciling those apparently disparate views Right. But the main the main thrust of both both my books is really about experimentation with different jurisdictions. 
whether those jurisdictions are on, on the earth or in the cloud. And the crypto, this absolutely dizzying ecosystem of cryptocurrency tokens that is emerging right now is giving us new governance options and abilities to experiment with new systems of coordination and, and programmable incentives. It is just staggering. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much that is now possible. The old hierarchical nation states with their information problems and their, their command and control structures are just going to be blown away in the future as people adopt these things. I'll give you a quick example, okay? Um, Imagine these are operating in gray areas. So go back 10 years ago, there's there's a a couple of good examples and they're probably probably, well-hackneyed examples by now, but they bear mentioning because they extend to this whole new order that that is unfolding before our very eyes. Back in like 2013, for the first time, you could get on an app and hitch a ride and that was operating in a legal gray area that nobody was sure was even legal in certain jurisdictions. And yet massive constituencies of people jumped on these apps and you tried, you know, Austin, the town I'm living in, in Texas, they tried to basically regulate it to death and, to, and essentially take away our apps. And eventually, you know, um, there, was a, there was a time there when we had to live without Uber and Lyft but uh, the state of Texas overrode the local municipality. And generally speaking, I'm all for devolving power. I want to see power localized. And this is one of those cases where human freedom was protected by the next level up. Mm-hmm. In any case, um, what's interesting about the case of Uber is this operating in legal gray areas that allowed peer-to-peer systems to emerge where people... Uh, on two different side, two different counterparties could come to an agreement without any with, well, there's the intermediary of, of Uber, but it's, it's an intermediary of technology. Right. Right. So now we have decentralized systems that make it even so that Uber corporate offices or don't even, aren't even necessary. So we're going to soon see peer to peer rideshare apps that, that aren't managed by any person, corporation or group but just the, it, it facilitated by a system built on blockchains. Yeah. It's going to be a trip, man. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I love it. I, and you're, you're exactly right that, that the Uber Lyft phenomenon, the ride sharing phenomenon, including Airbnb, all of these things were, were essentially illegal. I mean, they, they really were not legal when they started to push them into cities in mass and, and they found out, you know, because they got in there before the regulators could figure out what was going on. And they, they demonstrated the value proposition of the product that they were offering. The consumers loved it so much that they then became essentially lobbyists on behalf of these new companies. I mean, yes. it's it, uh, an absolutely- it inverts, the pro- it inverts the lobbying process. That's what's so f- brilliant about this. And this is, I believe, going to happen with the crypto revolution. Yep. You nailed it with that, right? What you just said about they became the lobbyists. Mm-hmm. So right now we have- what's called, you know, the economists call concentrated benefits, diffuse costs, Mm -hmm. right? There's a mohair subsidy. We all pay for mohair subsidies. We all pay for, you know, big ag. We pay for all kinds of subsidies in, in the massive legislation that comes out every year. You don't even know you're paying it and you don't have an incentive to know you're paying it because we all share the burden of paying for that stuff. 
and the politicians horse trade with it and all and it's in tra- it, it, it gets frozen in amber and so this sort of captured regulatory state grows and grows and grows subsidies favoritism you name it it's crony capitalism all day long and it costs a fortune well with this the concentrated so the concent- the benefits are concentrated on a few firms or a few industries and the costs are dispersed among the people with networking internetworking technologies of the form I'm talking about, you have the ability to invert that process. Mm-hmm. So instead of a few lobbyists are going to Washington to get their favors, now you have massive constituency groups that become the lobby. Right. You, and the cost of enforcement to tell people, no, you have, we're going to take away your ex. You're going to do that to, you know, half the country now. Right. Yeah. After they adopt this stuff. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see, particularly with cryptocurrencies and distributed ledgers, how this shakes out. Yeah, it's populist guerrilla warfare, man. Uh, I really that's think right. that, that's what it is. And, and uh, I, I think it's, we would be remiss not to talk about El Salvador. And I think this is an, another, another example of basically the, the consumer becoming the lobbyist, where you now have countries competing for freedom-minded crypto billionaire and millionaire type folks to come and take their skills, their knowledge, their economic, uh, you know, assets to these nations to help build them up. And I think this trend line is, well, I'm very skeptical because I hate governments. Um, I am still extremely optimistic about this trend. And it's a new one that you are seeing countries actually compete to be more free or freedom oriented to appeal to people like you and I, this is, this is a a trend that hasn't existed in my lifetime. And I think people are sleeping on it big time. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Um, I can't wait to see the United States Leviathan reverse the trend where instead of everybody trying to cross the Rio Grande to get here, all of us are trying to go down there. Let me give you an example. I want your listeners to look up Prospera. okay? Okay. On the Island of Roatan in Honduras. The place is absolute paradise. The, for 10 years, I've got friends in low places, okay? And for 10 years, they've been working on trying to get legislation passed in Honduras to create these special economic zones. Mm-hmm. So if you look up Pro, Prospera, mm-hmm. right, Prospera, they have created a special economic zone there that is basically the freest jurisdiction in the world. Love and they it. are on track with investment. In fact, I know a guy who's on a plane right now down there from Austin, where I am, with two billionaires on the damn plane going to look at this place because this is going to be the freest jurisdiction in the world. They're going to build Hong Kong in the middle of Central America. Oh, that's and, incredible. And there's going to be copycats as far as the eye can see. And oh. all of a sudden, you know, all of these, this G7, Great Reset and G7, you know, tax cartelization that's happening right now where they're trying to trying to create a global tax of 15% on, on, on multinational corporations, there's going to be a massive fuck you to those people. And they're going to be hosted in places like Honduras, El Salvador, um, all over Central America, which is just hungry for this innovation because they're desperate because they're tired of living under the thumb of people who are driving this stuff Mm -hmm. like the current administration, like the last administration, frankly. Yep. Um, you know, I think so, I think that's really so, important. I think it's really important that that we we advocate and we support and we talk about and we advertise 
these options because let's be honest, the federal government can just print money and send it to El Salvador to get them to stop this stuff. So we're going to have to demonstrate that we are more powerful than this free money that's temporary from you know the federal government. Because I, I, that's what I envision happening is that whatever aid we pro provide to these countries will be threatened to be removed. And then you'll find out, all right, is, is the threat of losing this aid more significant than the opportunity of having the most brilliant minds with the most assets, um, you know, to, to grow something organically from the bottom up, is that more powerful than this temporary carrot of, of aid from this dictatorial nation in the United States? I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to find out, uh, but I think that <clears throat> it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Like, they're not going to be able to stop them all. So, like, you're going to end up having one that gets off the ground in such a significant way, and it, and it proves its worth and its merit and its utility and its economic power. And once that happens, man, once you have a Hong Kong in, in Latin America, good luck. Good luck yeah. G7 actually dictating how we're going to live our lives. Game over. Game over. It's to some degree. Or they're going to have to become totalitarian really fast. Exactly. Now, now, you better believe I am worried about that. Yeah, me too. But how totalitarian can you be, first of all, when half your military... Um, you know, half your military uh, veterans are starting to think like this. Exactly. I've had military veterans read my book, you know, retired military just probably did tour. Well, I know for a fact did tours in Iraq and Afghanistan telling me that my, my work has inspired them like, and that, that I get it. And they start telling me about OODA loops and John Boyd and all of this stuff, which is military decentralization right mm -hmm. you know stanley mccrystal and all this stuff where it's like we had in order to be able to win we had to stop we had to be less top down mm -hmm. they're starting to get it they're yep. getting that the demise of the republic is because we've gotten too top heavy mm -hmm. and they don't like what they're seeing and sometimes that manifests itself as sort of like troglodytic trumpkin land support you know whatever sometimes <laughs> it's just um but sometimes it's like I remember when Ron Paul was running for president and like his, some of his biggest support came from the U S military. He, so he received more in donations than all of the other candidates combined. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's because the military is getting wise to this stuff. Yeah. They know it's corrupt. They know that the department of, of defense cannot even account for the, the debt spending that they're, they, they can't even find the money. It's just like sloshing yeah. around. Uh, well, they, they know it first. The audits. They also understand it, you know, intimately the unbelievably stupid places we've been in these wars and, and yeah. why, you know, they, they get it on a level that the American public doesn't understand. And that's, that's why I'm so hopeful that we can actually see a, a, a trend of military veterans coming out and advocating for peaceful secession movements and things like that, because that's what we're going to need really. I, like if you're, if you see the collapse as inevitable as I do, like our only option is going to be, 10th amendment type stuff where you have countries essentially or not countries, but States becoming countries saying, look, we, we did this as long as we could, but y'all have a totally different uh, vision for the future than we do. And we're not willing to let you take our guns or whatever the newest uh, tyrannical thing they're trying to push is. And I, that's my hope. My hope is that we can, we can see that. So let, let's talk a little bit more about what you see after collapse. Like, do you have a, uh, a hard vision for 
for what you see or is it all just kind of like laying out the potential paths? Yeah, I, um, so I have seven chapters um, in which I set out a bunch of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's part aspirational, it's part theoretical. Uh, and, and, and in many ways, I, you know, I draw from the Austrian tradition that, that you know and love, mm -hmm. thinking about how to architect systems where we can have essentially a consent, much more consent-based governance. So think about the vector of change, not being politics, not being going and talking to the town hall and not going and voting and, and this and that, which is, look, I, I understand libertarians who do that. There are a bulwark to, to fight the tide of statism. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I hope that in, in doing all of that, you can also find time for creativity, entrepreneurship, and innovation. Okay. And I'm just saying this like directly to your listeners, like innovate and change in any small way you can that is subversive. Okay. So part of the themes of my books are subversive innovation. Mm -hmm. Uber was a subversive innovation. Bitcoin is a subversive innovation. The guys who put together a special economic zone in Honduras is a subversive innovation. Um, you know, thinking about prediction markets. Okay. So imagining systems of governance where you have consent-based systems. It's not to say we shouldn't have rules. It's not to say we shouldn't have the enforcement of rules, but accountability is best when we have real social contracts. So imagine you go to a city and you sign a contract and you say, I'm going to pay you a certain amount every month, taxes. You might, they might call it fees or whatever, but they're contractually bound to provide those services, mm -hmm. governance services of all sorts. You might like uh, you might like a small jurisdiction that is very generous with its welfare, right? So that you have an insurance program that's very costly and that everyone is there and they have to redistribute and help the poor, right? So the interesting thing about this is I'm all about free markets, but I'm more interested in markets and governance, economic pluralism, because if you think your system is so damn good, instead of opposing it on 350 million people, why don't you try it for yourself? Love it. And so- the idea here is to get people to see that consent-based systems of governance can compete in an evolutionary fitness landscape. And when they do, so not just 50 states, but how about 50 jurisdictions within each state? Right. And we can start to have competitive governance in those centers as well. And what if, what if instead of it being imposed on us by some annexing county authority, it was run by a company? Mm -hmm. And you contract with the company. If the company doesn't satisfy its end of the agreement, you get to take them to court. Mm -hmm. And we have a system, systems and practices like those described by, let's say, David Friedman, where we have protective associations and we can we can have, you know, all of whom have incentives to to uh, harmonize in certain respects to reduce the costs of conflict mm -hmm. and to get to resolution, conflict resolution. So I present a whole bunch of ideas in, in part two of After Collapse. That's the after part. And, the, and, and there's some of the best ideas out there. Um, some agree. of them are mine and some of them belong to other people. Sure. Um, I also talk about how to run organizations from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my dear friends here in Austin, Brian Robertson, is an uh, inventor of this management philosophy called holacracy. In a holacracy, it's a very distributed system. There is no boss. There are no bosses. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a role. And 
remuneration accrues to you according to your ability to create value in that role. Mm -hmm. And you have dominion over that role. And if you want to change the rules of the game in, in this, it's, it's, it functions like an organism instead of a, a, an evolved organism instead of a machine, a, mm -hmm. like command and control machine. So everybody's an entrepreneur. Everybody's an intrapreneur in right, the democratic right, right. system. Yeah. So we can start changing our corporations too. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. once the penny drops on how a company can be run, you can start to extend that rationale to the rest of society and holy shit, right. what is possible with these kinds of new systems? You'll That's start incredible. to see that DOS, you know, that our operating, our social operating system is still running on DOS. Right. Our democratic operating system, DOS, which <laughs> runs on two apps, the red app and the blue app. <laughs> right. That's 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 done. Yeah. We need we it. need an operating system that runs more like an iPad or or what whatever metaphor you like. No, that's that's brilliant. Well, that, that was a, a great way to end it. Um, everyone go out and pick up After Collapse by Max Borders. Uh, if you like this this show, I think you'll love his book. The, I mean, you're you're thinking all the stuff that that I talk about all the time. So I, I can't wait to check it out myself. Um, any, any uh, social media or anything that people should follow you on? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at it. And it's, it's the worst, but uh, yes, social level, uh, find my name, Max Borders on Twitter. It's also social e at social evil. Okay. Evil. Um, you can, yeah, you can find me on um, my, my author page, Max Borders on Facebook. And, um, and you can contact me if you like via email. Um, which is maxborders at gmail.com. Perfect. Um, go ahead and shoot me an email with the uh, the best link for your book for people to, to pick it up. And I'll include it in the description for the show. Thank you so much for coming on, Max. It was a very interesting conversation I, as I knew it would be. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Another great episode in the books for you beautiful people because I love you so damn much. Big news. Looks like I'm going to get Ryan Dawson on for episode 110 as we had discussed prior. You're not going to want to miss that one. And... If you appreciate these incredible guests, this incredible production that I put together for you every single week, it's vitally important that you subscribe, that you share, that you comment, that you pass this thing around, man. I need y'all. I need your help. I'm doing everything I can here to put out a product that I think I can be proud of and I think that you can also share potentially. So if you feel the same way, please do. It really, really helps grow the show. That's probably half of my audience is all word of mouth. So you guys are doing it already. If you can keep doing it, I really appreciate it. But make sure that you subscribe. If you're not aware, I do a video production of this show as well. You can go over to YouTube, just search Liberty Lockdown. It'll pop up. Hit subscribe, share it with your friends and family. Uh, wake some people up. You know what I'm saying? <music>
Peter Quinones, invite me on. Which podcaster sends custom songs? Part of the problem? Now I stand with the people. Dave showed the way, but I am unequal. Lions of Liberty now hear me roar. Beat running up, but I got a bit more. Robbie the Fire always running his mouth, but I made him a sandwich. Now I'm man of the house. The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit. I went over BLM with the fire I spit. Friends against government just caught us fags. Copied the Cairo, put mummies in the bag. Liable opinions get thrown on the ground. Silky's Mouton was the only sound. Getting so hot must be air July. Screaming in the mic, a rip for 59. Miles to ratio that black guns matter. Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders. None of us wanted war, but we're ready. You know I be bopping and rock steady. Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe.